Yeah, we just sang it. All the earth will shout your praise. All the earth one day, and we'll we'll sit around the throne one day and worship with uh, believers from a Muslim country in, in West Africa, and that's amazing. So, thank you, David. Uh, we are in Ephesians chapter three today, finishing up the first half of the book of Ephesians, and Paul's spent the first half of the book talking about what is the gospel, defining it clearly. Uh, And he's going to turn next week towards how does it apply? How do we live it out? How does it work itself out in our lives? How how does it change us? All that sort of stuff. But today he's going to wrap up this first half with a prayer. And so he's going to pray for three things. He's pray for a lot of things, but really he's praying for three things. Strength and love and knowledge. And what we're going to see today is that each one of these, strength, love, and knowledge... God answers that prayer request by giving us his presence. The the answer to our prayers is that we need God. That's what Paul's praying for. He's praying that we need God's presence in our lives. We don't just need strength. We need God. We don't just need love. We need God. We don't just need uh, knowledge. No, we need God. And so that's what he's going to pray. We pray about what we are concerned with. We pray about what concerns us, what weighs on our hearts, right? This is true of all of us. We pray about what uh, we think is important, what is valuable. We pray uh, also about what we think God can do, right? We kind of temper, I think, our prayers sometimes because we, we, you know, we're not sure can God really do that. So we kind of limit our prayers sometimes and pray what we think God can do. And what Paul's going to pray today Uh, shows us that we have a lot of room to grow in our own prayer life. We have a lot of room to grow. That there's so much more we should be praying for. Yes, we should pray about, uh, you know, Aunt Sally's toe and and all those sorts of things. Amen. Yes, we want her, Aunt Sally, to experience healing in her toe. Amen. But we really need to be praying for this, what Paul's going to pray for today. God, we need more of your presence in our lives. Because that's what really will satisfy us. We sang it this morning. The only thing that will satisfy us is, God, you are the satisfier of our desires. There's nothing better than you. We, all the songs we've sang this morning. Shane and I did not get together on this. Uh, Shane got lucky. Let's just be honest. Um, but my hope today is that we read this, that we learn to pray more biblical prayers. We learn to pray for God's presence. So let's, let's read it. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen let me pray real fast God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it teaches us how to pray. God, it teaches us who you are, and 
God, I pray that we would pray uh, big prayers for your presence to fill our lives. Um, God, I pray that we wouldn't just dwell on the trivial things, the materialistic things, the earthly things in our prayers, God, but may we pray for others and may we pray for ourselves, God, that you would fill us with the fullness of you, that you would dwell in our hearts, that you would establish permanent residence. God, I pray that, that we would pray and learn to pray bigger prayers that are about your glory and that are about your renown and that are prayers of worship for all that you can do and will do. And so help us to understand this this morning, God. I pray that it would make sense. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So look at verse 14. He says, uh, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Uh, Paul says that his posture of prayer is one of bowing his knees. Now, this is actually uncommon. They prayed standing up. I think we kind of pray bent over with our hands folded or something. That's how we teach our kids. I don't know why. But they would pray standing up or with their head bowed. Uh, Paul says, I'm bowing my knee. And so he, he's describing his, his dependence, his trust, uh, his loyalty to God, uh, and that the one that he's bringing his request to. And he says, I bow my knee before the Father. Christians, we pray to God. We don't pray to the universe. We don't pray to some higher being, some unnamed higher being. No, we pray to God who has revealed himself in Scripture as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You can pray to the universe, but the universe is not listening. The universe can't answer your prayers. Only God the Father can answer your prayers. And we should pray to God as he has revealed himself to us. I got to thinking about this. Why do we pray to the Father? If we believe, you know, Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, why, do we, why don't we pray to the Son? Why don't we pray to the Spirit? And it's kind of complicated. We don't have time to go into all of it. But this is how the Bible people pray. This is how people in Scripture pray. They pray to the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit, right? This is how God has revealed himself, and we should pray to the God that exists, and he says, I pray, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He's praying to the Father, and he's praying for all of those who are named after the Father. He's praying for the family of God. And the beauty of this statement, in light of what we talked about the last two weeks, is this is Jews and Gentiles. This is Americans and Kenyankas. This is the whole family of God. This is not just prayers for a specific people know this is for the whole family of God and here's what he prays for verse 16 first he's going to pray for strength he's going to pray for strength let's read it verse 16 he says that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being he prays that he may grant. We're praying to God, and we're praying that God would give this. We don't have the ability to conjure this up. We don't have the ability to, to do this. No, we need you, God. You're the one that's going to have to give this. And he says that, that prayer, I think he's teaching us that prayer is about dependence on God. We don't come to God with our agenda. We don't come to him telling him what he should do. We don't just get to speak to God and tell you, God, here's what I need you to do. No, we don't come with the orders. We come dependent with bowed knee. And God, that you may grant, right? He says that you may grant, he says, according to the riches 
of his glory. And what Paul's communicating is this, is that God has enough. God has enough to do this. He's not praying a prayer that's bigger than what God can do. He says, according to the riches of his glory. God is not lacking. God is not uh, unable to answer our requests. No, he is fully capable. And so Paul is not just praying a prayer of dependence. He's praying a prayer of faith. That's what it means to pray in faith. It means to believe that God can. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. So we, sh- we should pray prayers of, of big prayers that, that are beyond what we can even fathom God doing. But we should believe that God is fully capable according to the riches of his glory. Prayer is bo- about both. Dependence on God and faith that God can do it. And then what he prays for is strength. He says that, that you may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He's not praying for physical strength. That may be okay to pray for, right? He's not just praying for uh, health and, you know, physical wellness. That's okay to pray for. He's praying for what? Spiritual strength that comes through the presence of God in our lives. And he goes on. He says, so that Christ, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's talked about the Spirit who dwells in us. Now he says that, that Christ dwells in us, and this is not contradictory or two separate experiences. No, it's Trinitarian belief. It, to, to have Christ is to have the Spirit. To have the Spirit is to have Christ. But the point is what? It's dwelling. We, we sang about it in the garden. <laughs> I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and he walks with me and he talks with me. This is the theme in scripture throughout that God wants to dwell with his people. This word for dwell uh, is not just temporary. No, the word means permanent residence. And so what Paul is praying for is that God would dwell with us. And I don't... That is a crazy thought, that the God of the universe wants to dwell with us, that we can walk in a garden and talk with him, right? But this is the pattern we see in Scripture. When God created humanity in the Garden of Eden, it says that he walked with them and he lived with them. The dwelling of God was with man. But what happened? Sin enters the picture. Adam and Eve say, no, I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. And the dwellings no longer are the same. God does not dwell with them. They are cast out of the garden. But this is not what God wants. No, he wants to have his dwelling with us. And so God starts a plan to redeem us, and he chooses Abraham, right? He creates a people, Israel. They go to all this stuff, right? But they end up in the wilderness, and what does God do? He establishes his temporary dwelling in the tabernacle. And so they get to see this picture of God's presence But they can't really approach it. They're not walking and talking with him. They have to sacrifice in order to get to him. This is not the full picture of what God wants to do. No, he wants to dwell with us permanently and completely. When Israel goes into the promised land, they eventually build a temple. A temple is the place where God's presence dwelled. But still, it's, that's not complete. And that's not God dwelling with his people because they've got to go through a priest. They've got to sacrifice. Only certain days of the year can they get to God. So Jesus comes. And Jesus is God with us, right? Emmanuel. He is dwelling is with us. And he lived the perfect life. He died the death we deserved. 
so that we could be saved. And what scripture says now is that we are the temple. We are the temple of God. We are the place where God's presence dwells. But even this, what we're doing right now, as we are saved and have the Holy Spirit, this is temporary. And this church is temporary. It's not the full, final, complete picture of God dwelling with his people. No, that won't happen until we get to heaven. And this is good, but this is not the best that it's going to be. The best it's going to be is when God makes it right in heaven. And here's what he says in Revelation 21 of the picture of the end of time. And he says, and I heard a loud voice, verse 3, Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The answer to our prayers is that God would dwell with us. That's what we need. We don't need more money. We need God. We don't need more health. No, we need God. We need his presence. We need his, his power in our lives. We need him to dwell in our hearts. And it's going to be temporary until we get to eternity in heaven where we will walk and talk with him in the garden, just like we sang, where we will have a, a close relationship with him. Paul's praying for strength, but he says the only way you're going to get that is through God dwelling in you. He's the only one that can do that. Second, he prays for love. Look at 17. Verse 17, he says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. He prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted is the idea of a plant being transplanted into new soil so that it can grow, so that it can thrive, so that it can prosper. He says, I want you to be rooted in love, rooted in Christ's love, rooted in the gospel. If we're not, we don't plant our roots down deep in what Christ has done for us, then we will not thrive. And he says, I want you to be grounded in love. It's the idea of, of sinking a foundation deep into the bedrock, drilling piers. Jody's not here um, looking at my construction guys. Drilling piers and beams and whatever y'all do, John. And building a firm foundation so that the house is not moved, so that you can build from there. He says, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love so that you may have strength to comprehend. This, this phrase means that you would be fully able or in, entirely able to understand the love of God. He, he doesn't want us to just like get a little taste and go, okay, I got, out, got my get out of hell free card. No, he says, I want you to be rooted in this. This is where your life comes from. I want you to be grounded in this. This is what you build from so that you can fully understand the love of Christ. He doesn't want us to just have this small little dose of God's love. No, he wants us to be filled fully and to have God's presence in our lives. He says, with all the saints, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. This experience is for all of us. This is not just for pastors or the most holy among us or those that have their lives together. He says, this uh, being rooted and grounded in love, able to comprehend is for all the saints. It's not secret, it's not for a certain group. No, it's for everyone. All Christians root their lives and ground their lives in God's love. 
What are we trying to understand? What are we trying to fully grasp? He says the breadth and length and height and depth. We're trying to grasp the outermost dimensions of God's love, the, the immense size, the, the extents that it goes that way and that way and that way and that way, how, how deep it is, how wide it is. He's, he's trying to get us to grasp how big God's love is. That's what we need more of. We need more of God's love, not less. We need more. We want to fully wrap our minds around it, our, in, our finite small little pea-sized brains, minds around how much God loves us, how much he's done to love us and show us that love. Even though we were unlovable, this is the nature of the gospel, that we didn't deserve that, but he's saying, I want you to fully grasp, to fully understand all that God has done. He wants us to love. And then third, he prays for knowledge. Look at verse 19. He says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I don't know if you're picking up on this, but there's some irony in that statement. To know that which surpasses knowledge. How does Christ's love go beyond knowledge, right? How, how is that? What is, what is he saying? He wants us to know what we can't know? Yeah, that's what he's praying for. He's praying for something way more than just head knowledge or Jesus died on the cross. My five-year-old can tell me that. He knows what Easter's about. He knows the facts. He's got some head knowledge, but he doesn't have the heart knowledge, right? He's saying, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is not just head facts. A lot of people know what Easter's about. A lot of people know what the resurrection is, but not everybody believes it. Not everybody knows it. And that's what he's praying for. How can we have that? We've got to hear the gospel and believe it. It's head knowledge and heart knowledge. And then he says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and to, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's irony in this statement too. How can we who are uh, finite be filled with that which is infinite? How can we who have limits be filled with that which is limitless? How can we who, who are so small be filled with something that is so big? But this is his prayer for us, that we would be filled with the fullness of God. And I think what he means is that, that we would be overflowing with God's presence. That God would fill our lives so much that it overflows. It overflows in love. It overflows in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That we look more and more like God. We're so filled with the fullness of God that in this world we look like God. That's what he's praying for. Yes, I want you to know, but how is that accomplished? By being filled, by God's presence. Paul's prayers are not just, I want you to be strong and loving and, and, uh, and knowledgeable. That's not what he's praying. No, he's praying, I want you to be filled with God's presence. And what will happen if we're filled with God's presence? We will love. We will know. And we will be strong. We, we, you can't accomplish that without God's presence. And many have tried. Many have tried religion, many have tried good works, many have tried all sorts of things to satisfy themselves and to be strong and to be loving. And the only way, the only way that he presents is God's presence in our lives. 
And I think we've got to learn to pray for this, for others, for each other, for ourselves. Look at verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul wraps up his prayer with this, we call it a doxology, a doxology, which just means a prayer of worship. He's just praising God in his prayer for all that he has done. He's giving God glory uh, for what he has done. He says, now to him, to God who is able, he's fully capable of doing what? Far more abundantly. Paul is using extravagant words to try to get our minds around all that God can do. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can limit our God. There's nothing that can hold him back or, or keep him reined down. There is no world power, political party, cultural movement that will stop our God. Our God is able. And he says he can do far more abundantly, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. What he's saying is God's power and his ability goes way beyond the biggest prayers that we can pray. He's saying, you're praying too small. But, and he's praying that we would pray in faith, believing that God is able. Now, this, this doesn't mean that God is a genie in the sky. And, and if we pray and we believe he can do it, that he's got to do it. We don't believe that at all. That's not the God of the Bible. He's not a genie in the sky waiting for us to just express our desires in faith. And he's obligated to do that. No, that's not, that's not what he says. He says, uh, he's able to do far more than we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He says according to the Spirit. He, God's not doing anything outside of His will. He's not obligated to our will. He's not waiting for us to just name it. He's not just wa waiting for us to just say it and He gives it to us. Right? No, it's according to His will. God is more about God than, we, than about us. He's not just going to answer my prayer this morning for a Learjet because I want to go to San Diego this week, right? I, I believe God can do that. He totally could. But he's not going to do that. Why? Because that's not his will. And that's not what he's about. God's not about me. God's not about you. What's God about? It says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. God doesn't do things because we command him to with our faith words. No, he does things for his glory, for his power, for his renown, and for the church. His glory is revealed where his presence dwells, and that happens to be in Christ and in the church. God is way more concerned about him, and it says, throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. We're praying to the God who is the ruler over all things and all peoples and all times. And my hope this morning as we read this, that we would learn to pray like this. That we would learn to pray big prayers. Not just small prayers. Not just limited prayers. Not just, hey God, if, if, you, know, if you get around to it, will you, will you help? No, God, you are fully capable and you have immense ability, God. And so we pray that you would. Uh, my prayer is that we would pray more biblical prayers. That we would pray for strength. And we pray that we each would be strengthened because God fills us. 
And we pray that we would love because God fills us with his love and he establishes us in his love. And that we would pray for knowledge. God, fill us with your knowledge. But, but not just for head knowledge, God, heart knowledge, relationship, intimacy. That's what we're praying for. We sang it this morning and I hope it's true. There's nothing better than you. If we really believe that, that's what we should pray for. We should pray for God's presence. We should pray for God to fill us. And then we should pray prayers of worship just like he does. The more we know God, the more we're meant to love God. And the more we love God, the more we praise God and we worship God. And we praise him for all that he's done. And so as Paul wraps up Ephesians 3 and he turns his heart to prayer, my prayer is that we would learn from it too. We would learn how to pray big prayers of faith and of dependence on God. And we would pray, God, fill us up with you. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you for this word of scripture. God, I thank you for the truth in it. God, I pray that we would see that you are the satisfier of our souls. And though we search for all sorts of meaning and purpose and satisfaction and all sorts of things in this world, God, we stand and we testify that none of those things have ever filled us up. The only thing that can fill us up is you. God, so we pray for more of you. God, we pray for your presence to fill our lives. God, we pray for strength and love and knowledge that comes from you dwelling in us. God, we thank you for that grace that we do not deserve. That you want to live with us and you want to be our God and you want, and we, you want us to be your people. God, we praise you for that grace. God, we don't deserve that. We don't deserve to be near you, God, but you want that. You want us to dwell with you. And so I pray this week that we as a church body would dwell with you. We would sit with you and speak with you and walk with you. That we would study your word and know you more and love you more and worship you more. God, I pray that you would prove yourself worthy and prove yourself uh, profitable and gracious. God, and you would fill us up and we would go, I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good and I want more. God, I pray that you would fill us up with you. That's what we need. And so we pray with Paul the same thing. God, fill us up. Fill us up with your presence. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.